listening to Crush Performance, your weekly source for sport performance and athletic development information. Get the Crush blogs, podcasts, and performance links at crushperformance.com. Now, here he is, the Crusher. flow to athlete and player development and kind of like the surfer who knows how to catch that wave just right when you do you can really enjoy the ride today a crush episode of creating coachable players as we talk the long game of athlete development because let's face it it is a long game and if you know what it looks like and if you know what to do and when to do it you can really make a difference Before we get going, I want to apologize for last week. I missed it. My voice was gone. It could have been the wicked Friday night of karaoke. Not sure, but my voice was hoarse and there was no hope of recording this show. It may still be a little rough here today, but let's battle through it. Yes, I said karaoke. My go-to song, you ask? Well, I have an entire playlist that I can belt out at will. (laughs) Not saying that I'm a great singer at all, but I do love to sing and I absolutely nailed Pearl Jam's Yellow Lead Better last week. It was so much fun. I really do love music, though, and there are a lot of parallels between the world of music and the world of sport. A band is like a team. There is skill development, mastery of skill sets. There's creativity, all the things we love about human development. So these two worlds really, really resonate with me. New music has always fascinated me. How is it possible that all of these cool new sounds keep coming along? There are only so many musical notes, yet great new music continues to happen all of the time, and it never ceases to amaze me. Now, I've never truly learned to play an instrument. You know, I've thumped on the drums a little bit. I can strum a guitar, and I did play the piano for a while. But I'll tell you this, that world of classical piano and the way they taught piano It was not for me. And it actually wasn't for any of our daughters either. We actually pulled them out because they just started hating music altogether. We found them this cool hipster music teacher that not only taught them piano, but taught them guitar, taught them the ukulele, and actually had them playing songs and learning while they were playing. It was a brilliant approach and one I wish I had when I was a kid. Now, there's a band I've been following for years, much like at the start of every season in professional sports, regardless of what sport it might be, we pick a team to watch and we might follow a team in a sport for a couple of years. We'll have players to watch. We'll have storylines to follow. But in music, I've picked a couple bands to really follow closely. And this band in particular has been just so much fun to watch. It's The Whale and the Wolf. And they just released a new single track last week called Closer. It's been very cool to hear and watch these guys develop and figure out the music industry over the years. In fact, you can go back in the Crush archives and find the episode where we had the lead singer Ryan Meyer and guitarist Brandon Yegi in the studio talking about music, talent development, and making new music. Such a fun show. Their first full album is coming out in September, and these guys are rocking it. Music, like sport, is a long game. In fact, anywhere people are working to get better and master a skill set, 
it takes time. And that's exactly what I want to talk about on today's episode of creating coachable players, the long game of development. And it is a long game. Human development is not this clean, clear, linear line of progression. It is a flat out hot mess. And in sport, this holds true as well. It's a messy all over the place, read and react world. However, if you understand this, and realize that there are windows of opportunity that you can capitalize on over the years. You can not only influence performance right now, but you can raise your athlete's ceiling of potential moving forward. And this is what I would wish for, for anyone who's going to try to chase down their dream. So how about this? Let's talk about the long game of development, where to start, how to lay out your plan, what you need to be aware of, and the opportunities that you can capitalize on as you work your way through the journey. No matter if you're an athlete, coach or parent, you need to understand the long game of development. And if and when you do, things can get really, really interesting. Let's have a look. Athlete and player development is a long game. It's a journey, and this is exactly how we address it for each and every athlete, team, and organization we work with. It's just like planning a trip. So here's a question for you. What do you need when you plan a trip? Just think about this for a second. I ask every athlete I work with this exact question, and I get a lot of different and colorful answers. A passport, a toothbrush, a change of underwear, a credit card, right? All this stuff, which, yes, are necessities, but when you're mapping out a trip, there are three things you absolutely need before you take even your first step. First, you need a destination, clear and concise. Second, you need a full and clear understanding of your starting point. And this is where many fail, especially in the world of sport. And then finally, you need the planned markers or progressive milestones that you need to hit along the way on a trip. It might be a sleepover. It might be getting gas. It might be stopping to get something to eat. It might be a bathroom break. You guys get what I'm saying, right? But it's very, very important that at the start of a journey, these three things are really, really well thought out. For our athletes, when we talk about the destination, I'm a huge fan of thinking big. And the bigger, the better. I want to know where you ultimately want to wind up at the end of your journey. And that's a very, very important thing. And the more detailed here, the better. This step is where we point our compass in the direction we want to go. We know we're going to get sidetracked. We know we're going to have to make adjustments. But without that direction, there's no way we can even start. And then second, you need to have a clear and concise idea of where you're at right now. You need to have a full understanding of your current state. And again, this is where so many fail because it's hard. It's very, very difficult. You need assistance here. You need feedback from your coaches. You need feedback from teammates. You need feedback from scouts, GMs, anybody who has an opinion on you, your performance and where you're at, whether they're right or wrong. We collect that for our athletes. We'll go out of our way to make sure we talk to everybody who might have seen an athlete play or compete or anybody who's worked with them outside of their sport to get an understanding of where they're at right now. 
it's really important. Another important aspect of this phase is testing, collecting data. And this is a really, really important part of the sporting world today, getting that feedback and intelligence. In fact, we should do an upcoming show on this very topic because with all the new technology out there, there are so many variables you can now analyze and assess you got to understand what's important and what's not, especially for you personally. It can vary from athlete to athlete. And this is one of the problems we have with a flat out straight combine. Do those combines even reflect potential success inside of a sport? Oh boy, that's a mixed bag of tricks. How about we put that in the queue for an upcoming show? Because that would be a great conversation. Regardless, if you do get good data, good intel, you can really get a better understanding of where you're at right now. And I can't tell you how invaluable that information can be in helping you plan your trip. And then third and final, the milestones. You need to set up estimations as to where you need to be at certain points in time as you go on to achieve your goal. And this is where the long game comes in. Because while we have progressive uh, performance markers or milestones that might be a week out or week by week or month by month or half year or season by season, we also have markers planned out four years. Think of an Olympic quadrennial plan, eight years, 12 years out. And for some of our younger athletes with aggressive and lofty goals in sport, we might have a 10-year plan. If they're 13 or 14, what are they going to look like when they're 18 or 19? What do we want them to be able to do when they're in their early 20s? When they hit 30, what are we expecting and where are we hoping to go? These are the types of plans you can make when everything is in place. Not to say that it's all going to come true. And that's one of the tricks of the trade. And it all starts right here with the planning process, having your destination, knowing where you're at right now and setting up the milestones to achieve your goals, short term and long term. Once you have these things in place, you can start your planning, not before. The plan is a guide that simply allows you to adjust and adapt. So many athletes come to us without a plan. They're just reading and reacting to whatever happens in front of them. It's kind of like going on a trip, but you're hitchhiking. First, you never know when you're going to catch a ride. Second, you never know if you're going to wind up where you need to go. And third, you don't really know if you're going to wind up at your destination anyway. It's way too unsafe and way too unpredictable. You have to have a plan. Simply put, your plan is a reference point that allows you to make meaningful adjustments as you go through the process. Without a plan, making an adjustment is kind of like shooting in the dark while you're riding a horse. So setting up a proper plan is always where we start. In Sport Canada is the world leader in long-term athlete development science. They started it all. And now nearly every country on the planet has some version of an LTAD plan in place for virtually every sport. And this is a good thing. At the start, Sport Canada commissioned a group of sports scientists and sport leaders to model the developmental pathway an athlete goes through on their journey through the sporting landscape. And it is really smart. The original model 
had seven distinct levels of development, each representing a phase of development and the goals and objectives that should be addressed at each stage. Stage one goes right back to the beginning, titled An Active Start for Males and Females, Zero to Six Years of Age. The prime directive of this stage is simply to learn the fundamentals of movement with the emphasis on fun. I mean, we're learning to crawl and then building to walk, maybe starting to run a little bit and then linking them together in play so they can start interacting with other kids. It's the basic roots of movement and it's very self-directed and unstructured. Then stage two is actually titled Fundamentals, males six to nine, females six to eight. The goal here is to learn all fundamental movement skills and build overall motor skill constructs. There's a little more structure here in the form of games and even maybe some club involvement. You know, the funnastics, sort of the down early levels of gymnastics would be a classic example here. Learning to walk on a balance beam or hang from a bar, swing from a bar or walking on a balance beam or doing a flip into a foam pit. We might also see running cross country or track and field drills here. Just fun stuff, not structured, maybe not even timed, but getting together and playing games and learning how to put it all together in a more structured environment with other people. And then stage three, which is for me, one of the most important stages in the entire spectrum of development. Males, nine to 12, females, eight to 11. Learn to train. This is where we teach with the goal and directive of learning overall sports skills. This is where skill acquisition happens. You learn to put a bat to the ball. You learn to throw to a target. You learn to jump and hit a volleyball. You learn to shoot a basketball through a hoop or make a number of varied different passes to a partner depending what sport you're playing. And it's here that you also start playing by the rules of the game, which adds a whole new dimension to your intentions and the outcomes you try to create. It adds constraints that you have to overcome to make things happen within the boundaries of the game. This is a very important stage of development. From stage three, learn to train, you go then to stage four, train to train. Males, 12 to 16, females, 11 to 15. There's some interesting things that happen here. It's a time that we need to build that aerobic base. And if you've listened to the show, you know how important I feel that is. It is one of the driving factors in our number one priority in all of sport, which is rest and recovery. The aerobic base will directly influence every single athlete's ability to recover between training bouts, between sets, between innings, between games, between shifts, between periods. It is so important in the big picture of athlete development, yet grossly undervalued and undertrained. We want to see the development of speed here and start to introduce our athletes to strength training and advanced coordination to further develop and consolidate sport-specific skills. We talk about building well-rounded, robust athletes here who can go on and not just prosper in sport, but do it at the lowest risk of injury possible. Stage number five is titled Train to Compete. Males 16 to 23 plus, females 15 to 21 plus. And this is where we start optimizing fitness preparation for sport demands. We look at the individual athlete and also where they're going to be contributing on the team, position specific skills. 
as well as overall performance. We start honing in on sports specificity here and the athletes are ready for it if all the other stages have gone well. Then we have stage number six, train to win. Males 19 plus, females 18 plus. And this is where we focus on podium and winning performances. How do we go about winning? This is where competition becomes more of a part of the developmental model. We compete way too much early on and it takes away from pure athlete and player development. But it's here, train to compete and train to win, where applying the learned skills inside of the competitive environment is so, so important. In stage six, train to win, this is where we're competing amongst the best of our peer group, which might very well be the best athletes in the world. And we're leaving no stone unturned to help guide our athletes, our teams, and our organizations to success. And then the final stage, stage seven in the original long-term athlete development model from Canada Sport for Life was a stroke of genius in my humble opinion. It's called Active for Life. And you can enter this stage at any point in your development. You may not want to go down a high performance pathway. You might just love sport and you want to play with your pals. You want to play with your friends and just have fun. You might find that you have other interests and you just want to play sport to stay in shape and stay active. There are a lot of reasons why people withdraw from sport. Some good, some not so good. But in the end, we want everybody active for life. And if we have the fundamental skills through phases one, two, three, and four, you're going to be at least competent throughout the rest of your life in the sport you have passion for. There's a smooth transition from any athlete's competitive career to lifelong physical activity and participation in sport. And this is something I would wish for everyone. All of this information is online and it's free. You just have to search it out. The long-term development model provides the framework of development that we can follow to help our coaches coach and to help our athletes develop. And various sports and organizations have expanded on this original framework to meet their own unique circumstances. For example, Baseball Canada has expanded the original seven stages to a very smart nine, each representing an inning of development for that unique and challenging sport. Ultimately, the long-term development model takes you through the development timeline based on what we know about human growth and development. And there is endless data and information and research in this sector. For example, very simply and generally, we know that females mature both physically and mentally earlier than their male counterparts and by a couple of years. And that's reflected in the model by the different age categories for both males and females at each stage. Now, there are those who oppose the thinking behind the long-term development model, and more specifically, the periods of development, saying they're not as hard-line as the LTD makes them out to be, which might be true to a point. Development does vary for everyone, athlete by athlete, even region by region. But here's what we do know. From the normative data on human growth and development, there are general windows of development that everybody goes through. And inside these windows lie great opportunities that you can take advantage of if you know what to look for. A great example of an opportunity that lies within the developmental timeline of an athlete is understanding the age of your athlete. 
we know everybody has a chronological age, the time from when they were born to right now. But we also have a physical age where we are in terms of our development that can vary from athlete to athlete up to three to four years, depending on which studies you read and believe. You can have a chronological 15-year-old in the physical body that is the same as an average 12-year-old or 13-year-old. You can also have a chronological 15-year-old in the average physical body of a 17 or 18-year-old. So you have that chronological age, then you have the physiological or developmental age. You also have the mental, cognitive, and emotional age. And that can vary greatly from athlete to athlete for many, many reasons. And then we might round it out with the training age and competitive experience of an athlete. Some athletes enter a sport early, some come in late, and that can change our developmental approach. Along the developmental timeline, there are these physiological and psychological windows that humans pass through. And if things are in sync, you can really take advantage of these windows and influence development in very positive ways. But if you're too early with your program or too late, if you're out of sync, it can really slow that development. And at its worst, it's a disaster. It's a disaster of injury, burnout, frustration, and the withdrawal from sport altogether. Here's an example for you, and it's an important one. When young athletes are passing through their peak height velocity, their maximum growth curve, they're at the highest risk of injury. This is when we need to be protecting our athletes like nothing else, like a mama bear protecting her cubs. Yet, the injuries in this age group are soaring. The dropout rates in this age group are soaring. And a lot of the reasons for this are sitting there right before our eyes. They're growing. And they're growing at a massive rate. They will undoubtedly experience a loss of coordination and the frustration that goes along with that. They become self-conscious because their skill levels drop. And sometimes dramatically, they're no longer the most skilled athletes or players in their age group. And most certainly, they're more susceptible to injury. Imagine taking a baseball two or three inches farther away from the elbow and shoulder in a very short time. Imagine the added stress of hitting a tennis ball. Imagine the extra stress as the long bones get longer in the power and jumping sports. The nervous system and connective tissue can't keep up to rapid long bone growth and it can cause massive problems. Heck, we had an athlete who came to us when he was 14 and 15 years of age. His mother had to replace his clothing three times in two years. He grew several inches. In fact, he grew so much that when we were doing his posture analysis, his whole midsection was one massive stretch mark from front to back because his skin couldn't keep up to his long bone growth. And for our female athletes, the vectors of force coming down through their hips and their knees can change dramatically and substantially through growth and development, which is one of the reasons that during this rapid growth phase, they are at the highest risk for non-contact knee injuries, something that we have to consider and address through that phase of development. 
So what can you do? Well, be aware. As early as 10 and 11 years, we start wingspan measurements, which is arms straight out as far as they can go, longest fingertip to longest fingertip. And when we see those long bones getting longer, we really hypermanage our athletes, protecting them from injury and all the downsides of rapid growth and development. Something else you can be aware of, and it's one of my pet peeves in the current sporting landscape, is the ratio between competition and practice. If you've ever seen me present live, you might have heard my campaign to run for king of sport. <laughs> I say it jokingly, of course, but with serious undertones. We overcompete at the younger ages when we should be practicing and training, supporting fundamental development both physically and mentally, right alongside technical and tactical learning and skill acquisition. We should be spending more time early on creating coachable players here, not throwing them into the competitive fire without the tools they need to have long-term success. The Williams sisters are one of the classic examples here. Now, I'm not talking about no games. I mean, every kid wants to play, and so do I. What I'm talking about here is changing the ratio so we're actually doing something good for our athletes and players, something good for their futures and long-term development. And piling on the competition early is not it. That much I can tell you. When we look at the timeline of how humans grow and develop, there are these developmental windows for coordination, for speed, for power and strength. It's just the way humans mature. So for those who say these windows don't exist, you really need to check your research because they do. And for those who say they are definitive and written in stone, they only happen at this time. And once they're gone, they're gone forever. You also need to check your research because here again, while those windows do exist, the timing can vary from athlete to athlete. And no stage or window of development is more important than the one that came before it. Let me explain. In the long-term model of development, every stage of development depends on the previous stage. They progressively build off of one another as the athlete passes through the entire timeline. For me, however, the most important phase in the entire model happens when females hit 8 and 11 years and males hit 9 to 12 years of age. As we mentioned earlier, this is the skill acquisition phase where the initial opportunities for skill learning and sports-specific skill acquisition happens. Not to say that some can't and doesn't happen earlier or that it can't happen a bit later, but this is the sweet spot. And if you hit this right and introduce the proper technical and tactical fundamentals, you set your athletes up for future skill development. And then you really have something special going on. And the benefits and progress you get here can be amplified if everything that's happened up to this stage was good or even great. Running, jumping, throwing, tumbling, free play, the fundamental constructs that many children today are missing. On a side note, from my campaign to run for King of Sport, I believe that the most important tool we have at our disposal here is the school system and in our school physical education programs. It could be so powerful for athlete development, but also for human health overall. Deep conversation for another day, but we seem to be cutting physical education time for more, sitting at our desk and pile on the homework academic time. It's totally backwards, not only setting back physical health and development, but it's also setting back true academic performance. And maybe one final point I'd like to make as we talk about what can we do and raising awareness is the conversation that revolves around the topic of strength development. 
For me, the rusted developer strength is one of the big failures in today's sport development system. Early strength can be as bad as it can be good. It has to be done right. Aggressive strength training, resistance training physically changes the body. And for the most part, that change is irreversible. If it's not done right at the right time and for the right reason, you could be and probably are destroying talent, not building talent. Not to say young athletes can't be strong. It just has to be done correctly. You really need to know what you're doing here. Aggressive strength training with resistance should not happen before full growth. We like to create movers first. Then we go to town. Once we've established movement patterns, every strength exercise we prescribe serves a purpose. And it's all about problem solving. We'll prescribe strength exercises to maintain and support posture and range of motion through movement. We'll certainly prescribe strength exercises to support movement outcomes and maximize movement potentials. Injury prevention is critical here. We have strength work for pure strength, for speed, for power, and it varies from sport to sport and athlete to athlete, but everything we prescribe from the standpoint of strength and resistance training serves a purpose, and that takes planning. Think of an Olympic four-year quadrennial plan or an eight-year plan or a 12-year plan. I just love it. We actually won't work with an athlete unless we're all committed to at least six months at a minimum. I personally like two to three years. Most of our athletes, we've been contributing for their entire careers. But this is what the long game looks like. One year, two, three, four, five years. And eventually, the athlete will hopefully self-select their own pathway into the high-performance pathway to chase down their dreams of professional sport or standing on that podium for their country one day, or into the recreational pathway, participating in sport for life. And let's be perfectly clear, either path is absolutely awesome. development is like planning a trip you need to know where you're going and i'm a huge fan of thinking big here do not hold back go back to our episode with performance coach jim fannin where he asked frank thomas what his goals were early in his career he said hall of fame without hesitation or you can also go back to our episode with former wrestler and hypnotist wayne lee who envisioned himself getting to the final of the olympic trials but not winning the final he got there, but he didn't win. So point your compass. And then you really need to know exactly where you're at right now. And that takes guidance and assistance. There's a big difference between critiquing yourself and criticizing yourself. We seem to be very, very good at criticizing, as Dr. Jacques Delaris said in a previous episode. So be very deliberate here, not to criticize your current state, but to constructively critique it so you can move forward with purpose. We go to great lengths to get this right. Think of a fighter pilot going 1200 miles an hour in their jet. If they're a couple inches off at the start of their trip, a few minutes in, they could be miles off course. And that's what happens when you're not sure of where you're going or where you're at. Once we've clearly established our direction, our destination, once we've clearly defined where we're at right now 
We then set our goals and objectives with timelines. Then we go for it. Sometimes it goes fast, sometimes it's slow. Sometimes we're early and then sometimes we're late. But we continue to push and develop no matter the situation. And even after retirement from sport, we're still planning and strategizing what's next for our athletes. Because development, it's a long game. It's about adapting and adjusting along the way and breaking down barriers. And it never really ends when you think like an athlete. I'm Jeff Kershell. Coming up in the next few weeks, I love the idea of talking about athlete and player testing. What a great topic. Data, data, data. It's more important than ever in today's sporting landscape, largely because of technology that's now allowing us to test and evaluate our athletes like never before. Data can be helpful if you're testing the right stuff. It can also be a curse. And we'll also get to the crush war on sugar as promised. It's going to continue. There is alarming new data and warnings on artificial sweeteners and strong warnings as well regarding caffeine and caffeine consumption. We'll break it all down. And we'll be getting back to our look into perception, talent and talent ID, plus of course, more creating coachable players. I want to thank you for joining me for this episode of Crush Performance. If you have any questions, comments, or smart remarks, or a topic you'd like us to look into, write to me, info at jeffkershell.com. We answer every single message we get. The Crush Performance Podcast is recorded right here in the Crush Studios. Our distribution partner is Radio Influence Digital Media. Our website and educational material is produced and directed by Debbie Kershell. Theme music, graphics, and video design by Noah Lexen at No Lexen Visual and Sound. And this is season 18 of Crush Performance. To get the Crush archives and to subscribe to the show, go to jeffkershell.com and follow me on social media. Search out Crush Performance. And stay tuned for the launch of our video series coming soon on YouTube. Have a great week, everybody. And we'll talk to you next time right here on Crush Performance. Crush Performance.